All right, so guys, the, we, over the last sort of three weeks, we've been speaking a lot um, about discipleship and about how to build um, in, in a way that we see in the Bible, the way that we see Jesus get the disciples together. And Brad spoke last week about faith and how to walk in faith um, and how to step some of the things out that we have in faith. And before he preached, I actually felt God talk to me to, to shake uh, the, the Christian cage a little bit. And Brad touched on it in his sermon, but I want to spend today speaking about some of the, the, the troubles that we're going to have, some of the, the things that as Christians we're going to face. Um, I think it's, it's one of the teachings within the church that Christians live a perfect life and they're not going to have any troubles, but the, the, the Bible is quite the contrary. But you know, we, we get told that we're going to walk in trouble. We get told that there is going to be trouble, but the, the beautiful thing about what God designed is that he has a way out and he has a, an, an answer to that. And it's, it's quite fascinating that we are where we are this morning and what we've been talking about. I want to just take some time to, to have a look at, at some scriptures and to have a look at how we actually navigate through those problems. And before I do that, I want to uh, touch on the elephant in the room um, because I've been looking at it and trying to work out whether it's something we do need to touch, and I think that it is. So obviously this week, if you're an, an Australian or if you follow the Australian news, the, the plebiscite uh, vote was finalised, and it, it was a yes vote. So if you haven't followed that, then there you go. You've just heard the, the result. I don't remember the numbers. I, it was quite a blowout from what I see. But the, the thing that actually disheartened me was watching the church go into a bit of a tailspin, a bit of a frizzle and sort of not know what to do with this. And we heard a, um, Brad had a, had a, a word, I think it was last week or the week before, about the fact that something is coming to this country that is going to rock the church, and we need to work out how we're going to deal with that. And I think that the, the reality in what we've seen here is that this, isn't, this is the topical issue, the issue that we're looking at at the moment. But the church has been dealing with things like this since the very beginning. You know, Curveballs that were thrown from a worldly perspective that we have to navigate through. And I think one of the things that, that really hit me with Brad's word is he said that we must not lose focus of what we're actually here to do. And I, as I've been reading and looking through, I, I follow a lot of different theologians from around the world and, and a lot from Australia. And one of the things that I've seen is a response to this issue in, in three, there's three responses that I've seen predominantly. And the first response that we see is that we pretend nothing's happened. We put our head in the sand, we ostracize ourselves from the issue, and we just keep plugging along as everything's usual. We don't talk about it, we'll just move forward. Hence why I decided this morning we couldn't not talk about it. The second issue I think that we, the, the second response I think that we see is that we get angry, confused, and fearful, and we shut our hearts off to the issue or the people that that issue surrounds. And the final one I've seen where I saw a post from a guy that I didn't think would post something like this is that we focus on who Christ is and what he did in a world like this. And he took a verse that I'm going to read this morning and, and he explained it in such a beautiful way that I thought, man, if we just begin to understand that, we can navigate through this problem and the many more that are going to come. This is the tip of an iceberg to, to something that I think is going to grow and I know for some people that they're saying this isn't a problem, this shouldn't be a problem, but it's clear in the church world that people are confused and frazzled at the moment. So if you've got your Bibles, would you go with me to, to Micah 7? 
And guys, a lot of the a lot of the church spend their time, and we see it. We've seen it a lot with in in other movements where they don't want to talk about the move of the Holy Spirit because they can't have an answer to it. They'd rather just not discuss it. That way, we can't get wrong on it. There's things that we have to look at as our world changes that we we may not have answers to straight away. But if we refuse to talk about it and refuse to seek the scriptures on what's actually happening, then we're building this this false thing that we're protected and we're hiding, but we're not really because we just don't want to talk about it. So the reality is we've got to start to understand, okay, my world's falling down around me. That's, that's real. That's happening. I know the Bible says that he's walking with me, but my world's falling. What My grid at the moment is that everything's falling down around me. So let's just read from, from verse 7. I'm just going to read the whole thing and then, I, and then I'll, I'll talk about it. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape leanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are, are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a brayer, which is a, a small bush filled with thorns. The most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mirror of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from the Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan, in Gilead, as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, the crawlings of the earth, things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds, and they shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Now I know it's, uh, it's long and it, it gets quite heavy toward the end, but the, the reality of what Mike is writing here is to a people, he stands in a city, the city of Israel, where everything is falling apart. They're in debauchery, they're, they're killing one another, they're, they're acting how he believes humans shouldn't act toward one another. And the reality that we face today is that not just on this topical um, thing that's happening now, but this is happening all over the world today in our day and age. We spoke this morning while, before we went to prayer about, about um, different medical things that are happening and, and the, the craziness that they're starting to develop in medical science and, and what they're starting to be able to do. And, and one of the guys said, I don't know if I want to be around for that. 
But the reality is that this has been happening since the very early days of the Bible. Micah stood in a place where he was saying, guys, what are we doing? This whole place is falling apart. But the stance that that Micah takes is amazing because he says, as for me, I'll wait for God. You can do what you like. You can live in a place of pain and suffering and hurt. As for me, I'm going to wait for God. You see, Micah in that place made a statement, made a reality call based on his life that said, I know the way to go and I'm going to stand in that. And I think in these, these last few days we've been looking at, okay, what, what are we supposed to do in this time? What are we supposed to do when my walls are falling down around me, when sickness is knocking at the door, when, when pain and suffering is happening? As for me, I'm going to wait on God. And we can begin to say that, and I'm going to show later how we begin to do that. But the reality is is that this world falling apart thing is not a new thing. It's been happening since Adam and Eve uh, stuffed up in the garden. But because we get so caught up and so, so embedded in, the, in the, the politics and the reality of what's happening, we lose the sight of God that Mark is talking about. That just wait. Just wait. Now, obviously, he's, he's speaking from a place of, of, of pre-Christ, before Christ came, and, and now we stand in a place that we get that instantly. We get the reality of who he is now, but there is still an element of man. There's something incredible coming. His kingdom is going to come and flow through. Go with me if you still have your Bible. <laughs> Go with me uh, to, to Matthew 10. Verse 16, 18. I'm going to read quite a fair bit of scripture this morning and, and go to a few different places. I just um, want to emphasize one simple point, but I want to show you a lot where it is. So I spoke about this first when I was talking about the disciples. Jesus has just chosen the disciples. He's just ready them to go and, and, and do the work that he's preparing for them. Um, and just before he sends, well, as he's sending the 12 out, this is his, um, a, a section from, from the middle of what he's saying as he's sending out the disciples. And it, and it reads, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Just stop for a second. He's just recruited these 12 and he's about to send them out. And he says to them, guys, I'm going to send you out amongst wolves as sheep. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing that those disciples would have stood and understood? That you know when you, when you buy a car or something and you just sign the bottom of the, um, the thing and you don't really read it and the guy goes, actually, by the way, you're going to go in and potentially be slaughtered. Yeah, we'll sign. Like the reality of what Jesus says here, I think sometimes we actually don't take into consideration that he's saying to the disciples, I'm sending you into a place that there's a, there's a high chance that you're going to be devoured and chewed apart. How can we hear what Jesus says there and then go, oh no, I'm a Christian, I'm not supposed to have these pains and troubles. He said, it was the, one of the first things he said to the disciples, by the way, you're going to encounter something. But then when we read on, Jesus gives them the most incredible tools. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, 
but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So he gives them this this incredible mountain to climb. But then he says, don't worry, I have the tools for you to climb the mountain. Trust in me. And the, I, I know we don't get the dialogue back from the disciples, but you, you've got to think they must have been, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this is what we signed up for. But they, they understood what he was saying when he said, don't worry, I've got the tools for you to carry. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise um, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. When the one who endures to the end will be saved. And just just quickly to clear that up, where it says the one who endures to the end will be saved, that word saved is not speaking about our salvation. It's, it's actually a, a Greek word meaning sozo, and it's meaning the, the deliverance and the protection, the healing of us. That as we walk with him to the end, for the duration that we walk with God, we walk in a place of wholeness and fullness. So it's not talking about those who, who don't walk the whole way to the end won't make it to heaven. That's not what it's talking about. Jesus is saying, if you walk with me for the duration of your life, you will walk in a protection and a covering that I carry. So if you didn't hear Brad's us preach when he was speaking about the kingdom of God, that's what it's talking about. When you walk with me, I will flow who I am through you and I'll give you that protection, that safety that you walk with. But when we walk outside of that kingdom, we walk in a place where we're not, we're not acting in who he is, so we're not protected by the things that, that he's covering for us. That's why when you see a, a Christian walking in something that they shouldn't be walking with, you've got to look at the Father and he's going, Son, I've got the perfect thing for you. Come back into my covering. Come back to walk with me and I'll cover you from this. But so often as Christians, we stand out in the rain and go, God, why won't you help me? But what this verse is saying is walk with me through that time. Come with me for the duration and I'll cover you and I'll bring you along with me. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they had called the master of the house... Beelzebul, which means Satan, essentially. How much more will they malign those of this household? So Jesus is saying to them in this in this verse, which is very similar to what Michael was saying, is that sons, daughters, there's going to be trials and tribulations because you live in a world that's full of pain and suffering. But I promise you, come with me and I'll bring you through it. Come with me and I'll hold on to you and protect you and bring you through it, which is what Edith was talking about this morning. You know, when... When Edie told us that she had cancer for the second time, it was a, a difficult walk for us until we saw how she handled it. Because the reality of someone holding something so painful and going, yeah, but I know how to get through this. For me, I said to, said to my wife when we got home, sheesh, that faith, that level of faith, that's how we conquer everything in this life. That when there's a mountain so big, but Jesus is saying, son, daughter, there's a mountain, but I've got the answer here. But then we get inside ourselves and start to say, no, but I want to do it this way, God. And because he loves us, he says, you can do it that way, but it's going to come with a, a whole lot more pain. But if you come with me on this side, I'll show you how we get through it. And the reality of Jesus saying this to the disciples before they went out is incredible. 
you know, for, for the disciples to be locked in chains but worshipping their God. You know, that's the very height of his, my faith in him will pull me out of this place. That when we're wrapped with chains, he's going, but stay with me. Stay with me. And we'll, I'll show you how we get through this. Go with me to Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was delight, a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was there and he ate. Now we've all heard what happened after that. We all know where that led us. But you know, the serpent was, was it's incredible that the Bible says that it was the most crafty of the garden, at the beginning there where it says that he was the most crafty beast of all. Because the serpent knew that if I can get Eve to disbelieve what the father said, if I can get Eve not to hold on to the promise that she was given by God, I can get them to fall. So he knew that all I have to do is take her eyes and her belief system away from what God was saying and get her to believe anything else. So she says, he says to Eve, no, that's not, what God, that's not what God means. He actually means that you can't have it because it'll give you wisdom and you'll be like him. And Eve, in her, in her complete just trusting, I mean, you've you got to understand, they would have been in the most trustworthy place, and then they meet this snake and they think, well, I can trust everything else. But all Satan had to do to Eve was remove her understanding of the truth that was given to them by God. Had they held on to that truth and revisited what God had said to them and went, no, thank you, I, I know what God said and I'm going to trust what he said, then we wouldn't be in the place that we're in now. But the very reality that all Satan had to do was move her thought process, that tiny, one tiny thing that God said, and everything fell apart. The moment we look away in any area of our life, we fall into a place that we shouldn't be in. The moment that we misvalue what God has said and who God is, we fall into a place that we shouldn't be. That we start thinking something that, that actually doesn't come from God, that God actually never said to us. We fall into a place where we, we shouldn't be and we're in a, in a painful, hurtful place. I'm going to go one to, to one more scripture. If you go with me to Matthew 4, 1 verse 11. Is this okay? Am I moving too fast? I'm trying to get through so that I don't hold people back too long. Matthew 
Matthew 4, 1 verse 1 to 11. Again, I'm going to read this and then I'll speak through it after. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This verse carries so much important, so many, sorry, so many important things for us. Firstly, we need to understand that Satan tempted Jesus in three ways. And they're the only three ways he still continues to tempt us to this day. The first, the first was his bread, his basic necessity. He challenged Jesus on, you're hungry. You need bread to survive. So here's the bread. Very, very basic. The things that he needed. The second thing that he challenges Jesus on is his health and his wellness of body. He challenged him on his, his being, who he was. His very, you know, hurt yourself and I'll help you through it. He challenged him on, on, his, on the wellness of his body. And the third one that he challenges him on is the, is the fake treasures of the world. So he says to him, I'll give you everything this world has to offer. So as we can see as we go through, it's, it's fascinating to me that that the three things, what we need, our well-being, and the fake riches of this world are the three things that we all struggle with. The three things that rock our faith first. If we're hungry, we'll look anywhere for food. If we're hurt, we'll do anything to get that health, that, that wellness, that health. And I'm not sure there's a great deal we wouldn't do for, if any of us needed cash. And money, one of the biggest things that, that the world offers and comes up empty every time. But the reality that Jesus, that Satan tries to tempt Jesus in all three of these things, but the beautiful thing in this verse is that every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus said to him, as it is written, my God already answered this for you. The fact that he quotes what God said back to Satan surely has to show us that there that the word that God's given us will bring us through the trial of tribulation. That when he says to Jesus, Jesus, I'll give you bread, you're hungry. Now, I've never done a 40-day fast. I know Edith has, and she said it's not easy by any means. I don't think I can make it. He would have been starving. And Satan offers him what he needed, but he knew the promise that God had given him. Then he says to him, well, Throw, fall down these steps, hurt yourself, and I'll show you how I can, how I can, the angels can make you whole. But every time Satan questioned Jesus, he had a response that he got from his father. And not even a response that, that was implanted in his mind as he was there. It was a response that he had read already before. 
Sometimes we over-spiritualize how we get through an issue by I need God to come down and someone's got to come and give me this, this word of wisdom it's got to be spot on and then I'll come through it. That's not what Jesus did in his time. He quoted something that his father had already written previously. So we start to understand, okay, there's something happening here because when we look back at Adam and Eve, they didn't understand what their father had said. So we have this, this temptation, these two temptations that we see in the Bible where Satan tempts Adam and Eve and they fall. And then he tries the same thing with Jesus and he doesn't fall. And the only difference we see in the two is that Jesus remembered what his father had said. Adam and Eve didn't. They would have walked with God in the garden. So there would have been conversation. There would have been a building up. They would have had an arsenal of things that God had told them that they could have said back, and they didn't, because they lost sight of the promise that God gave them. So when we start to understand that everything that we do in this life, everything that we walk toward, everything that comes across our way, when we hold tight to the promises of God, we have an out. And not only do we have an out, we have an out that's beautiful. We have an out that's better than the position we were in before. And you know, it's funny because it, my wife and I recently sold my car and we it occurred to me this morning while I was, I was sitting here and just finally the sermon that it would be absolutely ludicrous if somebody offered me 30 grand for my car. And I said, okay, just hang on, I'll think about that. And then someone comes back the next day and offers me six thousand for my car and I take that six. There would be friends of mine that would say, you goose, why didn't you take the 30? I forgot. I didn't remember that that was offered to me. So we take the the, the more terrible road because as we walk along we forget the, the, the beautiful thing that we were offered. That when we stand in the midst of our troubles, we forget the beautiful thing that God has repeatedly offered to us. And the reason that we forget that, and I'm guilty of this as well, and, and this sermon was punching me in the face as I was writing it, is that we fail to spend time with God. We fail to, to pick up our Bible and read through and find His promises. We fail to, to listen to words of wisdom that people are giving. We fail to see His beauty in where we're at. But what He's saying to us is, if you remember, son, daughter, the thing I promised... It's better than this. I'm sure Adam and Eve, after taking the fruit, realized we were offered something better and we settled for the thing that was worse. And this isn't a, I'm not trying to condemn anybody and to say to you, stop sinning. I'm trying to say to you, there's a better way and we can find that better way. That everything that we go through, there's a better way, there's a better way. You know, the humbling thing for me is that when Edith told us about what she's struggling through, and watching her walk through that, I think, flip, I've never walked through something that extreme. But when I look at how she's walking through that, I go, man, that's the biggest testament to her understanding the promise that was given from her father. So, while you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but you haven't seen what I'm going through. They have. And the testament that we take from that story is that they're holding on to a promise that they were given better than the lie they've been treated. And when we can start to understand this, when we can start to walk through the fact of, my God has promised me something bigger 
and better than what I have now. I'm going to stand on that. I want to, I want to offer some time for us to to pray through this, and I want to finish. Um, just now, I'm going to read one more scripture, and 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 I'm going to finish. But if if everything's gone over your head, or everything has 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 not made sense, just make sense of this one simple thing: God has something better, and you can find it. When we begin to flip through our Bible, when we begin to speak to people that, like Mal and Edith, who are walking through something that they've already walked through, um, like what Glorine's walked through, when we start to see what, where they're at, we say, what did you do? Why, Glorine, why would you go back to church time after time after time when you realized nothing was happening yet because you realized that, that the promise you were given from God was bigger than the promise that, that the enemy had now given you? To an outside world, it makes no sense that we would do that. But when I go, I know God promised me this thing. I know he promised this thing, and I'm holding on to that. You know, Bill Johnson said that when he was critically ill, he the one thing he held on to was the scriptures and the words that people had prayed over him. Why? Because he was, he was banking on the promises that God give, had given him. God, you told me I was going to do this. You told me I was going to be this. You told me that this would happen. I'm holding on to that. And I will wait for your breakthrough. And the bottom line is that, like what Brad was saying last week, sometimes we don't understand what happens. We don't understand why. But the beautiful thing that I'm sure Brad will be fine that I share is that with their story, with Brad and Farah's story, they never, ever let go of what they were holding on to, ever. And for me, sitting as a friend from the outside, watching this thing unfold, I was thinking, what are you guys doing? There was a promise made, but he said, but I've got to hold on to that promise. Pharaoh's testament was a, was a, sorry, Pharaoh's testament was a, a, a testament of the fact that I'll never let go of what God said. I will fight until there's no more fight, and then I'm in glory, so it doesn't matter. But those promises that you will bring me out, God, I'm holding on to. And I will repeatedly walk in and walk in and walk in and walk in until I can't walk anymore. So whatever your situation is, whatever that, whatever that problem is, you've got to go back to the Scriptures, go back to things that people have prayed over you, go back to the reality that God has said, son, daughter, I have something better for you. Better than that sickness, better than that thing that you think you need, better than all of these things, come and find and I'll show. Come and walk with me and I'll, I'll save you. I'll keep you in that comfort, in that wellness, in that place of wholeness. And the final scripture I want to read is, is which Glorian's already shared, but I want to read it from the Passion. It's called uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers me a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me for you already have. 
Jeez, that's huge. Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Church, I want to say that if, if there's something that, that is burdening you, go and read Psalm 23. If you have another verse that, that is the is declaration of your life, then, then go to that. But if we are going to truly say, God, I believe what your word says, I believe what your Bible says, then go and declare that thing. When you wake up in the morning, like, was, like what Brad was saying, don't look at your situation. Look at the promise that God has given us. Don't go to God about your mountain. Go to the mountain with God. Go to that place. Go and declare the fact that, no, my, my God has promised me something better. And I'm going to take that, thank you. I'll take the 30 grand over the six that I was offered. That story didn't, that story didn't happen. But man, oh man, it did. <laughs> but guys, the very reality that we have as Christians, the very basis, the very crux of who we are is that when the enemy knocks, God's already answered. But we have to choose where we stand. We have to choose. So once you stand, I didn't, uh, it's funny, I didn't, I didn't want to enter a time of prayer after I preached because I, I like to not do the typical church thing. But on some of your faces, I've really seen a, a need for a response to this. Um, so I want to offer the time to do that. I want to offer the time for, for you to come to the front and, and allow us to impart the reality of God's promise on you. That if there's something that's really rattling you, we want to come and the, and, and the stance that we're going to take when we pray is we're going to declare the promises of God. And if somebody gives you a word, if somebody gives you something that, that you feel is from God, take that thing, write it down, go home and pray over it. Say to God, if this is really what you're saying, Reveal it to me. If it's not, then let it go away. But if it really is what you're saying, then reveal it to me. When we ask in, in that manner, God gives us what we're asking for. There's been words that I've been given over my life and, and it wasn't until the other day that I went back and flipped through some of the words and realized, oh my goodness, about four or five of these have actually come to pass. And they were all verses, they were all things that were said that I laughed when the person gave it to me. And one of those things was that I'd be preaching in front of a church. Take what God's saying to you. Go back into the scriptures. Find what God is saying to you. Find the promise. Grab onto that thing with both hands and don't let go. So if that's you, if there's something that, that you need, something that you are just burning in right now, something that, that already on your head you've thought about, this thing's hurting, then come forward.
And the reason that I want you guys to come forward is that right from that walking through is that declaration of, God, I want to stand in this and I'm going to hold on to the fact that I'm declaring your promise over my life. So why don't we close our eyes and I'm going to pray. And if that's you, why don't you come forward? So that's not awkward for you when no one's looking. Just come forward and there's going to be guys at the front that'll come and pray in church. Come and pray. If you feel something for somebody, if you feel that there's something there, come and impart what God's saying to you and allow them to hold on to that promise. So Father, we just thank you, God. Lord, we, we raise you up in this place, Father. Once you come, Holy Spirit, and just reveal who you are, reveal your plans and your purposes, the promises that you have. Just pray right now, Father, that you just begin to tug on heartstrings this morning, God. Those that are lost and confused, Father, are standing in a place, Lord, where they don't know where to go, Lord. They don't can't see the reality of your promise, Father. Those that don't have the, the things that they need, Father. For those that are hurting and in pain, God. And for those, Father, that are caught in the, the, the fake promises of the world. Won't you just come this morning, God, and minister to, to, to your family, to your people, God.